I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center, and welcome to We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America, chartered by Congress, to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis in order to increase awareness and understanding of the U.S. Constitution among the American people. On December 4th, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Christie v. NCAA, a case that examines whether federal law that prohibits the modification or repeal of state gambling laws violates the Tenth Amendment, which protects states' rights, and a doctrine called the Anti-Commandeering Doctrine. That case has really interesting implications for a series of debates that are roiling the news, ranging from marijuana enforcement to the legal status of sanctuary cities to immigration. Joining us to discuss these important federalism questions are two of America's leading scholars of constitutional law, members of the Constitution Center's Constitutional Advisory Board and the We the People Dream Team. Michael Dorff is Robert S. Stevens Professor of Law at Cornell Law School. Ilya Shapiro is Senior Fellow in Constitutional Studies at the Cato Institute and Editor-in-Chief of the Cato Supreme Court Review. Michael, Ilya, it's so wonderful to have you back. Great to be here, Jeff. And, and especially good to be uh, on this uh, topic. I'm so high on federalism. <laughs> nice. Well, since you're high on federalism, you get to start by stating the facts. What's going on in Christie versus NCAA? And what are the constitutional issues that it raises? Well, Christie uh, versus NCAA is uh, ostensibly about sports gambling, but you can bet that there are larger issues uh, at play here because uh, this could affect everything from marijuana to immigration to gun regulation. Any time where uh, states want to do something that the federal government doesn't want them doing. Uh, This case uh, goes back to 1992 when Congress passed the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, PASPA, uh, and uh, outlawed sports gambling uh, across the country, with certain exceptions. Curiously, Nevada, uh, as well as uh, certain sports lotteries that were grandfathered in 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 various states. And there was a window, a safe harbor uh, in New Jersey uh, in case Atlantic City or others wanted to get involved. Well, New Jersey missed that window. They Uh, either changed their minds or didn't get their act together in time. Uh, But uh, about uh, 15 years later, uh, when Chris Christie was governor, they they passed a law uh, legalizing uh, sports uh, gambling and and setting up a regulatory commission in in various ways uh, for paramutual betting and and all sorts of other things. Uh, And uh, the the federal government said that that's that's against our law. And so we're in court. seeing whether the federal government is here telling New Jersey state legislatures, uh, legislators uh, what they can do in terms of uh, criminal law in New Jersey or regulatory law in New Jersey, uh, or is it simply that the federal government is saying, look, uh, we, we have these broad contours of, of federal law, and you can do whatever you want uh, in your states, but you, you can't do something that, that will... Uh, that will conflict with that under the uh, Supremacy Clause. So we're not telling you, uh, legislators, what you can or, or can't do, other than that you can't pass laws uh, that conflict with, with the federal law. And so there's obvious resonance here with the tensions of uh, marijuana uh, regulation, with Schrodinger's weed, as I call it, that's both legal and illegal at the same time, depending on the, the sovereign you're talking about, uh, as well as sanctuary cities, 
um, uh, certain gun provisions uh, th that are in the news from time to time. So this issue, you know, as, as interesting as it is uh, from, a, from a gambling and a, and a, and a sports perspective, it's uh, kind of uh, sexy in the sense that all four major sports leagues are involved. Uh, and by the way, we should probably stop talking about it as Christie versus NCAA because I believe it is tomorrow that the new governor Murphy assumes uh, office and it'll be Murphy versus NCAA once it's decided. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, we'll just see uh, uh, what the uh, what the justices uh, do with this. Uh, hard to predict oral argument, uh, although uh, I think I'd rather be uh, on the side of New Jersey here than the, than the sports leagues and the federal government. But more important than than specifically for for that uh, that statute, the the, the PASPA uh, is what they say about commandeering. That is the use of state officials. Uh, executive or or legislative to carry out federal law. There really hasn't been uh, a uh, a commandeering case in 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 over two decades uh, since the doctrine was really being formed uh, in the cases of New York and and Prince uh, that we can go into if if you want. Uh, and so they're the putting some more meat on that doctrine will be what uh, what people are looking for from the court. Thank you so much for that. Uh, so, Mike, uh, everyone concedes that Congress could, if it chose, ban sports gambling. But the conflict here is New Jersey's claim that its law doesn't affirmatively authorize sports gambling, as this federal law uh, forbids, but just repeals existing bars on sports betting. And the NCAA counters that this federal law from 1992 doesn't force state officials to do anything, but just bars them from authorizing sports betting. So describe more the difference between these two positions and how the justices evaluated it at oral argument. Sure. So uh, let's begin maybe by going back to those two cases that you mentioned. So in 1992, the Supreme Court uh, decided a case called New York against United States, in which the question was the constitutionality of a provision of the low-level radioactive Waste Act, uh, which the court construed as obligating a state, in that case New York, to pass a law. And the Supreme Court said that the Tenth Amendment uh, forbids Congress from obligating a state to pass a law. Now, that was a uh, close decision. It was five to four. Uh, part of the reason why it was close is that the Tenth Amendment doesn't explicitly say that. All it says explicitly is that the power is not granted to the federal government or reserved to the states or the people. But the majority in that case said that there was an implicit understanding at the time of the adoption of the Constitution that the federal government can regulate private actors and other entities directly, but it can't obligate states to regulate third parties. Uh, the follow-up case in 1995, Prince, involved the same principle, but rather than uh, announcing that Congress can't uh, tell a state legislature what to do, in Prince they extended that to say Congress can't tell a state or local executive official what to do. And the basic idea is that the, if Congress or the federal government wants to adopt a policy, it can do so directly, but don't turn the states or their subdivisions into your puppets. Uh, as I say, the, the uh, doctrine was controversial at the time it was announced because it's not clearly derivable from any text of the Constitution, but it is nonetheless a, by now an accepted principle. And the debate in the PASPA case, what I guess we will now call the Murphy against NCAA case, was over whether this law, PASPA, in fact tells New Jersey, you must maintain on the book in perpetuity 
your prohibition of gambling, which is basically the equivalent of you must have a law uh, forbidding sports gambling. That would seem to violate New York against the United States. Or whether Congress was simply saying to states that didn't meet the grandfather clause in time, um, you can't specifically authorize sports gambling. And so a lot of the debate in the briefs and at oral argument was over whether New Jersey's repeal was simply a repeal of a law that was on the books, in which case if that's impermissible under PASPA, that's a violation of the anti-commandeering doctrine, or whether it was a partial repeal and really a disguised authorization. Now, I have to say, I find this whole discussion a little bit mysterious because I don't know what quite what it means to say that a state is authorizing some private activity. Private activities are either legal or they're illegal. Um, there seems to be some in-between category, however, in which an activity is uh, not only, maybe it's beyond that, it's not just not illegal, it's specifically authorized. Uh, and if the case turns on that, I've got to say that's going to be a confusing doctrine uh, down the road. So I hope what the court does is whichever side wins, they either say this is actually a, uh, an attempt to make New Jersey keep its law in the books, in which case it's commandeering, or they say, no, no, this is simply a federal prohibition uh, that has some exceptions and New Jersey didn't do what it needed to do or did do what it needed to do to qualify for the exceptions. Uh, but a doctrine that turns on the difference between not illegal and authorized seems to me that it's going to be uh, uh, very problematic. Thanks very much for that. Ilya, how would you uh, split the baby and tell us again about the fact that the court seemed to split on uh, on ideological lines with the court's more liberal justices being skeptical, comparing this federal law's effect with the well-established doctrine of preemption, where federal law trumps conflicting state laws. Uh, the guy arguing the case, uh, Ted Olson, uh, famously expanded the preemption doctrine in, the, uh, in previous cases. But the more uh, conservative justices uh, saying that uh, as Chief Justice Roberts uh, asked, if Congress wanted to ban sports, it could have. Uh, Justice Alito echoed that. But this kind of case looked different. Justice Kennedy said that uh, by leaving in place a state law the state doesn't want, so the citizens of the state of New Jersey are bound to obey a law the state doesn't want, but that the federal government compels the state to have, that's commandeering, Kennedy said. So describe the positions between the liberal and conservative justices and then say how you think the case should come out. Well, I'm not sure it's 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 between the liberals and the conservatives. I'm, I'm not sure this one will end up five to four with Kennedy in the middle. Um, if I had to put a number on it, I'd probably say six, three or even seven to two. But that's, you know, that's uh, neither here nor there. The, the real issue that seemed to concern a lot of justices was, as you said, um, the uh, Congress could have uh, directly uh, regulated sports gambling, made it a crime and, and, and things like this, as it does with marijuana. Uh, now, uh, Brett, you, you know, you said in your uh, introduction or in asking uh, Michael uh, uh, the, the previous question that uh, nobody disputes that Congress could do this. You know, we're, we're cabining uh, my uh, libertarian uh, uh, commerce clause concerns about if it's a, a purely uh, a local law, state law within state lottery, things like that. Uh, I don't want the, the federal government uh, uh, regulating that. But regardless, that's not an issue in the case uh, as it's been presented to the court. And so the concern of the justices uh, is that, look, uh, this is an end run around 
trying to uh, around taking the uh, the political heat or being accountable for passing a law that may not be popular, the federal criminalization of sports gambling or, or however they want to do it. Uh, and instead, you're effectively saying, uh, well, states, you can do what you know, you can have whatever color Model T you want as long as it's black. That is, you can uh, you know, you can have whatever state laws that, that, that you that you want as long as you don't remove your laws that criminalize sports gambling. Or it can't really be the case that the federal government is saying, well, states, you can have a complete free for all. We're not telling you you have to pass a law, a state law uh, banning gambling. Um, you can certainly repeal your existing law, uh, but you, you can't then put in some sort of regulatory structure uh, to, to, to regulate this thing that we're against. So is the federal government really saying that you can have a free for all, but you can't have a properly regulated system of state sports gambling? I, I don't think so. And that, I think, those, those two factors the appearance of doing an end run, using the states to regulate in a way they don't want to take the political heat for, uh, and also uh, this weird situation where you're effectively saying you can repeal, but you can't replace that with a a, a regulatory scheme. Uh, Those are are really the points of contention at the court. Thanks for that. Uh, Mike, as Ilya said, this may not be five to four. It could be uh, six to uh, three or seven to two. And indeed, Justice Stephen Breyer at the argument uh, pressed Paul Clement to explain Congress's goal in enacting this law when Clement said that Congress wanted to eliminate state-sponsored gambling. Breyer said, that means there's no interstate policy other than the interstate policy of telling the states what to do, leading some to think he was sympathetic to the anti-commandeering argument. There's a resurgence of states' rights for liberals at the moment, and Dean Heather Gerken of Yale Law School is the leader of this movement. As a, as a prominent uh, progressive constitutional scholar, would you be distressed if the court ruled um, for New Jersey in this case? And, and if they did, you know, how would you how would you cabin the, the principle? So there are two questions there. One is the ideological stakes, right? Do we think that arguments for state sovereignty and autonomy are uh, categorically or generally leaning conservative rather than liberal. And the second question is my own brothers. So let me take those in reverse order. Uh, My own brothers, I wouldn't be distressed by any particular outcome. My view uh, of the anti-commandeering doctrine that the court announced in the cases in the 90s is that it's kind of made up. It's hard to root it in the Constitution, but it's actually a pretty good doctrine uh, on uh, sort of constitutional design grounds so that even if it really isn't in the Constitution. A good Constitution could have it, and so I'm not distressed by it. Uh, And I wouldn't be distressed by a decision uh, saying that in this particular case, uh, it's been violated. Um, I take Justice Breyer to be saying more or less the same thing. He, He dissented in the Prince case in 1995. He wasn't on the court yet in 92, but in 95 he said, look, this doctrine is made up. Actually, it's not a big protection for the states. If you look at Europe, there they think that giving the states the the authority to implement federal law is actually a protection for the states. It's a principle they call subsidiarity. Uh, But he seems to have come around. And the question is, did he come around because he's been persuaded that this is actually a sound way to run a railroad? Uh, Or because federalism is, you know, a nice general principle, but it's also a matter of whose ox is being bored. And when it's the uh, liberal federal government telling conservative states what to do on this account, right, the conservatives like it and the liberals don't, and they flip when it's vice versa. So, you know, I think there's a little bit of that. Uh, My own view is, as I say, 
that um, I'm, I'm sympathetic to a lot of principles of federalism on policy grounds. I don't think they're ideally uh, identified with the Constitution, but now that we've crossed that bridge, uh, I'm willing to accept it and think that you could, you know, that, that it makes sense that at this moment, um, uh, states that have democratic majorities at, at, at the state and local level want to be invoking federalism to push back against a uh, Republican Congress and president, just as it happens the other way when the configurations are reversed. Great. Well, as you say, this uh, anti-commandeering doctrine could have implications that will favor liberals as they try to resist policies of the Trump administration, and one of those policies is marijuana enforcement. Now for a brief break. The National Constitution Center is offering continuing legal education credits for select America's town hall programs. Credit is available for in-person events and on-demand courses. That means you can get credit for listening to our phenomenal videos and other programs. What an entertaining way to get those credits if you need them. Visit constitutioncenter.org forward slash CLE for more information. Also, please be sure to rate We The People on iTunes and other platforms. It helps other people connect with what we do. And also, we'd love to hear from you about how we're doing with the podcast, what you like, and how we can improve it. Please visit constitutioncenter.org forward slash survey and complete the brief survey. Ilya, you wrote for the Federalist blog on December 1st, Supreme Court sports betting case could redefine relationship between feds and states about other important issues ranging from marijuana and immigration to health care. And you say that if the Constitution forbids Congress from compelling states to enact or enforce federal laws, it can hardly countenance congressional compulsions to continue administering old state laws after they've proven ineffective, unpopular, or both. Tell us about the controversy about marijuana. Set it up by describing uh, Attorney General Sessions' new uh, policy repealing the so-called Cole Memo of the Obama administration uh, and uh, talk about the the connections between this Christie case and marijuana enforcement. Right. So um, federal marijuana law has not changed uh, since the Nixon administration, since the Controlled Substances Act was enacted in the early 70s, which uh, in relevant part classified marijuana as a Schedule One drug. That is, there are five different schedules uh, uh, in ascending order of, of uh, how dangerous the drug is, how addictive, uh, whether there are any beneficial properties for medical purposes or what have you. Uh, and marijuana is Schedule One, which is the highest, most dangerous one, uh, higher even than, than cocaine and certain other uh, morphine, other drugs that we think of as very, very dangerous, the so-called hard drugs when used uh, recreationally. Uh, that is, as far as the federal government is concerned, there is no uh, beneficial purpose uh, uh, to it. Um, there are uh, a couple of exceptions to it. Uh, one is FDA studies, and those have been uh, approved uh, at a much greater clip the past few years than, than the, the 20 uh, years before that. Uh, and also a very, very small uh, compassionate use program, basically grandfathered in people that had started uh, under, I think there's something like seven or eight people left. Uh, and here's an interesting piece of trivia. There is a federal marijuana grow site at the University of Mississippi. Now, I'm not sure whether at the time when this was set up under the Carter administration, the Mississippi senators were very powerful and so got this federal growth site or were very weak and so got the federal growth site there. But regardless, those are the only two very small exceptions to the federal uh, ban prohibition 
very strong criminal penalties against marijuana use, possession, trafficking, and the like. Uh, on a separate track, states have begun legalizing for state purposes marijuana going back to 1996. California was the first one in, in 96 for medical purposes. Since then, 29 states and the District of Columbia have legalized for medical purposes. Uh, and nine now have legalized for recreational purposes. The ninth was Vermont last week. Uh, and that was the first state that did it through legislative action. Uh, rather than referendum. That is, the previous eight states, which include the big one, California, this past uh, November, uh, or I guess two Novembers ago now, the, uh, the 2016 election, uh, they were all through referenda, constitutional amendment that were popularly enacted. But Vermont, uh, just last week, became the first state to do so as a legislative matter. And all of this action is regardless of the 2005 Supreme Court case, Raich versus Gonzalez. Uh, which was uh, a challenge brought by a medical marijuana user in uh, California who said, look, uh, I use this, uh, this stuff to, to treat various medical ailments. I'm fully compliant with California state law, but I don't want to risk the feds coming in to, uh, to bust me. So there was a preemptive, what's called a declaratory judgment action, filed uh, against the federal government to say, look, as long as I don't sell this interstate or otherwise, I'm just growing and consuming it for my own purposes. There's no uh, a dollar amount involved even. Uh, can I get an exemption or you know, can, can that Controlled Substance Act pro federal prohibition really apply to me? And the Supreme Court ruled uh, six to three that yes, yes it can. Uh, five of the justices uh, with Justice Stevens uh, in the majority uh, writing for saying that uh, even uh, uh, personal growing and consu consuming marijuana is economic activity that in, in the aggregate nationwide uh, affects interstate commerce, kind of an updating of the 1942 case uh, of Wickard versus Filburn. So we've gone from wheat uh, in, uh, in 1942 to weed in 2005, same sort of issue. And then the sixth vote provided in rage by Justice Scalia, or what people have called his drug war exception to the Constitution, where he said, no, this isn't necessarily a Commerce Clause issue, but when you add in the necessary and proper clause, sometimes it's necessary and proper to regulate even purely local uh, activity uh, as part of this national regulatory scheme. But you know that's where we stand federally. That's why we have this tension where you have this uh, marijuana that's both legal and illegal, as I said, in 29, a majority of the states uh, for medical purposes, and now in nine states recreationally. And it's really a, uh, a conundrum because for just for practical purposes, the federal government does not have the resources to enforce that federal prohibition. And so when the first four states in November 2012 voted to legalize recreationally, uh, or, uh, that was the first two states, I guess, yes, uh, Colorado and Washington, uh, later joined by those others, as, as I mentioned, uh, the Justice Department uh, took its time, took about nine months uh, to figure out what it was going to do. And that's where this Cole memo comes out that uh, Jeff Sessions uh, rescinded uh, uh, recently. Uh, and the, the Cole memo, and there, by the way, there are, there are two other Cole memos and a couple of other memos by, by the Justice Department that Sessions withdrew as well. All of these memos are getting to, to kind of setting priorities giving guidance to line law enforcement, U.S. attorneys about what the federal Justice Department's priorities are in this area. That is, 
uh, going after violent criminal gangs, underage use, spillover uh, into states that have not legalized, all of these sorts of pretty logical uh, uh, priorities. The, 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 the marijuana equivalent of uh, a local DA saying, I want to prioritize murder and rape and robbery over uh, uh, parking violations and speeding tickets that, that, and jaywalking, that, that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, and, and this is because there are only about uh, 4,000 uh, drug enforcement agency agents nationwide. Uh, they, they really you know, don't have enough to police even one state if they wanted to. Uh, and, and so nationwide, about 99% of marijuana arrests uh, and, and criminal prosecutions are generated by local and state law enforcement not federal agents. And so last week, uh, Jeff Sessions removed that, not saying that, no, 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 those priorities are wrong. We do want to go after the jaywalkers rather than run the murderers, but just saying these things are obvious. We will continue letting the uh, uh, U.S. attorneys set their priorities as we see fit, but we don't need to announce this. We don't want to encourage. Uh, the, the biggest impact, really, of the Sessions announcement isn't so much on uh, uh, you know, college kids in Boulder, Colorado getting picked up in their dorm rooms or street corners or what have you. It's more that business is going to be chilled in the, in the sense that there's now more legal uncertainty and uh, rescindment of, of certain uh, rescission of certain guidelines uh, in the banking and financial areas that that really had allowed uh, dispensaries and other uh, marijuana businesses to to grow. So anyway, that that that's where we are. And there's this continuing tension uh, and more and more Jeff Sessions position uh, quite apart from the law, uh, simply diverges from popular opinion. The latest Gallup poll shows 64% of Americans uh, in favor of legalizing marijuana recreationally. Uh, and I think it's 94% of Quinnipiac poll in August of last year approve of medical marijuana if prescribed by a doctor. Thank you very much for that comprehensive and helpful uh, tour d'horizon. Uh, so, Mike, uh, you said in uh, a post called Two But Only Two Jeers for Enforcing the Federal Marijuana Laws in Legalized States that strict enforcement of federal marijuana laws is bad policy but doesn't necessarily violate federalism principles. Focus on that second point, please, and tell us why you think, uh, given the fact that Gonzalez and Raich is on the books, that although the Sessions pol uh, policy may be bad, it's not unconstitutional. Yeah. So uh, actually, I, I made two points. Not only that it's not unconstitutional, I think Gonzalez against Raich makes clear that it's not unconstitutional. The second point is that the objection is hard to make on strictly federalism grounds. That is, you can object that Sessions shouldn't be enforcing the marijuana laws at all because it's stupid to devote any federal resources at all to marijuana when there are more serious offenses out there. Um, the hard part is saying, well, why should that uh, judgment differ between, say, California, Colorado, Washington, and other states where it's legal, and a state like New York, where it's, uh, there's some legalization for medical purposes, but not for recreational purposes, um, or other states that have no legalization, right? So that the federalism argument here it, right, there's, there's one federalism argument, which, which I generally agree, that says that Congress ought to repeal the prohibition of marijuana and leave it up to the states whether they want to prohibit it or not. Right, that's a straightforward federalism argument. Another federalism argument, which Raich sort of rules out, is to say that Congress lacks the power to regulate marijuana, at least if it's cultivated intrastate and 
used intrastate. And that's the argument that the court rejected in rate. But there's a third argument, and this is the one that I find to be, um, you know, I, I wish it were more persuasive to me, but I, I find that it isn't, which is to say, well, um, it's okay for the Justice Department to devote law enforcement resources to marijuana in states that haven't legalized it, but not in states that have legalized it. And, and the reason I find that argument problematic is that I don't find a way to separate it from the argument that says that it's stupid for Congress to prohibit marijuana in the first place. And I can illustrate this with an example, right? Um, ordinarily, if there's any act, if an activity is forbidden under federal law, it's forbidden. And the federal law is valid, it preempts state law. There doesn't have to also be a state law forbidding it, right? So it's illegal to sell cigarettes that don't bear the uh, Surgeon General's warning. doesn't matter whether the state would allow you to do it. You can't do it. Um, and there are a lot of things like that. And the question is, when does the fact that something is legal under state law um, mean that the federal Department of Justice ought to forbear in enforcing a federal law that makes that same activity illegal? Well, it can't be that the answer is, well, whenever the federal law is stupid, right? Because that's a reason to eliminate the law entirely. Uh, and we can think of circumstances in which the very fact that a, an activity is legal under state law provides a special reason for more zealous federal enforcement, at least if we agree with the policy. So think about um, federal civil rights laws, right, which uh, are we're, we're going to want the Justice Department to prosecute more vigorously in states where they either don't have such laws on the books or the, the laws are not enforced because we think the federal policy is important. So it's not that I think that Sessions is doing something right on federalism grounds. It's that I don't think it's possible to separate the federalism argument for abstaining from enforcement in states like California from the argument that federal marijuana law ought to be repealed entirely. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, Ilya, your response, and could the court or courts rule against the Sessions policy as long as Gonzalez and Raich remains on the books, or would they have to overturn Raich in order to rule against the policy? Yeah, I don't see any legal problems with Sessions' policy, although, uh, ironically, in, in some respects, uh, uh, Michael seems more favorable to what Sessions is doing than I, than I personally am. I just think it's imprudent, uh, the removal of these, of these memos uh, uh, and, and introducing all of this uh, uncertainty into the business climate uh, as well as into criminal uh, enforcement. Uh, I think uh, we had kind of uh, an understandable uh, uh, stalemate or kind of uh, uh, uneasy resolution, uh, temporary as it is, of the tension between the federal and, and state laws, one that's, that's very reasonable, as I said, uh, having priority on, on, on certain things and setting out uh, uh, what states, uh, what, what federal authorities will and won't do uh, in states that have legalized medically uh, as opposed to the recreationally. Uh, and by the way, there's a, there's a kind of a, uh, a corollary legislatively that each of the last few years, Justice Department uh, appropriations by Congress has had a rider preventing federal enforcement of the Controlled Substance Act or, or marijuana prosecutions against medical marijuana patients uh, in those states where it is legal. That's up for uh, re, uh, uh, reauthorization as we speak. Who knows if Congress will pass a budget or, or anything, but it's called the, uh, the Rohrbacher-Blumenauer Amendment for a California Republican and an Oregon uh, Democrat. And Jeff Sessions has been lobbying Congress not to reauthorize that particular 
appropriations uh, restriction. Um, look, I, I think uh, you know some people who uh, 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 lauded Sessions's decision by saying this puts the ball squarely back in Congress's court, and if senators like Cory Gardner, a Republican of Colorado, who criticized the, the Sessions maneuver rather rather harshly and said that he'd hold up DOJ Justice Department nominees uh, until it was reversed. Um, that, that if people like that want to do something, well, look, introduce a bill, change the Controlled Substances Act or, or, or what have you. Um, I think uh, I, I don't go that far because I think that you don't cut off your nose to spite your face. And I just think that uh, Sessions's maneuver, um, while fully within his powers, I don't think there's really a, a way to challenge that uh, uh, in the courts. But, but you put your finger on it that the, the underlying problem really is with rage, which I think was a a terrible ruling, I think, uh, a local activity that's not interstate and not even commercial for that matter, it might be economic without being, without being commercial, uh, that that should not be regulated by Congress. And so the Supreme Court uh, at, you know, at the bottom of this is to blame uh, for all of these tensions uh, uh, and fights. Uh, but uh, I do agree with Mike that the, 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 uh, this does sort of boil down to uh, people's views on whether marijuana should be legalized more generally. And I go back to the brief that Alabama, uh, Jeff Sessions' state, possibly the most pro-drug war state, anti-marijuana state in the union, uh, filed in Rage versus Gonzalez in support of Angel Rage, in support of medical marijuana users saying, look, we don't agree with California's policy. We would do something different, uh, but you should respect state autonomy in that way. I, I believe that uh, Kevin Newsom, uh, who's the... Um, uh, who's now an 11th Circuit judge, uh, recently confirmed, uh, was the uh, was the Solicitor General who filed that brief. I think Bill Pryor, another 11th Circuit judge, was the Attorney General of Alabama at the time. And and that uh, uh, ultimately is the way that this has to be resolved. This this uneasy tension, you know, even with the Cole memo in place and before Sessions made his last uh, maneuver, um, you know, there there really wasn't a uh, it wasn't a good, it was a good practical solution, but but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't ultimately good for the rule of law and, and a true uh, a, a constitutional federalism uh, uh, angle on all of this. Uh, only when um, uh, Congress does uh, uh, change the law, or for that matter, there's a different attorney general uh, who can uh, administratively uh, uh, reclassify, reschedule these various drugs. Only then will we really have, I think, federalism the way it's supposed to work. You're not really supposed to have these sorts of tensions across the, the this host of areas uh, and bringing it back to sports gambling or anything else, it's only because the courts have allowed the federal government to uh, uh, to kick uh, to outkick its constitutional coverage, if you will, that uh, uh, that, that that we have so much of this uh, pushback and, and tensions from the states. Wonderful. Well, we have one final important topic to discuss in our federalism trio, and that is sanctuary cities and immigration. In January, uh, the president issued an executive order. Uh, in the order, uh, Section 1373 said that state and local governments may not prohibit or restrict any government entity from sending to the Immigration and Naturalization Service information about the citizenship or immigration status, lawful or unlawful, of any individual. Uh, Judge Oreck, in striking down the order, said that it raised anti-gomandeering issues, 
Michael, describe what the federalism issues raised by the sanctuary city's executive order are, as well as that raised by Jeff Sessions' new Justice Department policy seeking to pull federal grants from sanctuary cities that refuse to cooperate with federal efforts to deport undocumented immigrants. Sure. So let's go back to those uh, 1990s cases. And uh, what they say is that the Congress cannot commandeer a state legislature or state executive officials. And the uh, our discussion of the uh, uh, Christie slash Murphy uh, against NCAA case focused on Congress commandeering a state legislature. The sanctuary cities issue really involves uh, commandeering of state and local executive officials. Uh, now, the key to understanding those cases is that while they say Congress cannot commandeer state uh, government, Congress can offer financial incentives. Uh, that is to say, it can use so-called conditional exercises of the spending power to say to states and localities, here's some federal money, take it uh, and do our bidding um, or refuse it. Uh, now, the court has also placed some restrictions on that, uh, most recently in the Obamacare uh, decision, in the, the same decision that upheld the individual mandate. They also struck down um, a the original version of the Medicaid expansion as unduly coercive because of the amount of money at stake and how it affected the state's expectations given prior rules. But the general pro, uh, pro proposition is Congress can use the spending power to get states to do things that it couldn't order them to do. So the uh, but but notice what I said there. I said Congress can do that. The issue with respect to the uh, Trump and Sessions uh, approach to sanctuary cities is with respect to the withholding of money. They're trying to withhold money that Congress didn't say could be withheld, right? So one basic proposition is that Congress itself has to either be the body that says, here are the conditions, or if it's going to be the executive branch, Congress has to specifically authorize the executive branch to withhold money for states that don't comply. With respect to the other provision, 1373, there the issue um, is whether the prohibition is really a prohibition on the local uh, law enforcement doing things, or whether it's phrased as a prohibition, but it's really an obligation on the part of uh, state and local law enforcement to provide affirmative assistance to the federal government, in which case that's commandeering. Great. Thanks so much for that. Uh, Ilya, you wrote a piece about the sanctuary sittings, city's ruling. The sanctuary sittings ruling is much ado about Nothing. You said, well, a broad reading of the executive order uh, is indeed a constitutional dead letter. That's not how the executive branch itself has understood or implemented the order. Tell us why you think it's much ado about nothing. Um, well, it, it's um, the devil should be uh, in the details. Uh, and, and for one thing, I, I disagree with the idea that uh, uh, of, of nationwide injunctions uh, in this area unlike uh, a national uh, immigration regulation like DACA or um, Obamacare or something, you can't have a federal law be illegal and legal at the same time. While these sanctuary city issues 
are case specific. That is, the type of money, the amount of money, the types of programs are different uh, city to city and county to county that, that's receiving these funds. And so um, uh, to the extent that, that, that courts are ruling um, and, and, and putting nationwide injunctions against, uh, uh, against uh, the, the new sanctuary cities policy, I think that's appropriate. Uh, now, with the specifics of uh, uh, what um, Sessions and, and, and Trump are, are doing, um, it's, it's, it's unclear um, what funds this, this exactly uh, affects, because there's a different uh, question of whether uh, something restricted uh, retroactively, and I think it's pretty clear that if the funds have already been given out or appropriated, uh, the, 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 and the states aren't on notice that they're subject to other types of conditions, uh, I, I don't think the court uh, will ultimately uh, uphold that clawing back or, or restriction. But going forward, if Congress does legislate, uh, again, if and when we get a, a new budget, uh, and, and there are certain uh, riders there saying that uh, unless you cooperate with us, you're not going to get this money, or rather to be eligible for these funds, you have to do X, Y, Z, and therefore it's just kind of the, the, the typical uh, strings attached to uh, various kinds of funding. That, that might be uh, that might be possible, but but so far these are these are just uh, uh, minor skirmishes, and it's unclear uh, what exactly uh, is being affected. Thanks so much for that. Well, it is time for closing arguments in this vigorous and illuminating discussion about federalism. Mike, first argument to you, and here is the question. Why is the Tenth Amendment and its principle of anti-commandeering important, and why should progressives care about it? So uh, I think it's useful to uh, distinguish four questions One, uh, with respect to anything, whether it's marijuana, immigration, sports gambling, you name it. One question is, what's the best policy? Do we think it's a good idea for government to forbid uh, marijuana use? The second question is, who decides what the best policy is? Should it be the uh, state officials, local officials, federal officials, Congress, the executive? Right? That's a question of allocation. And you could think that the best policy should be X, but that the decision maker is somebody, uh, you know, is the federal executive, and you happen not to agree with the federal executive in this case, and thus you end up with why. Third question is, um, what does the Constitution say about that, right? That is, there are questions of allocation of decision-making authority that are decided by the Constitution. Congress has the power to regulate interstate commerce. Now, there are questions about what that means, um, but if something it falls squarely within uh, the definition of interstate commerce, uh, that means that the Constitution is going to allocate authority to, to, for that question to Congress if it chooses to exercise that power, and that's going to preempt the states. Right, so that's the, the third question. What does the Constitution say? And then the fourth question is, what has the Supreme Court said about what the Constitution says about who has the authority to decide the policymaking question? Uh, because, um, you know, we've heard Ilya was critical of Raish against Gonzalez. I happen to think Raish is probably rightly decided, mostly for the reasons that Justice Scalia states in his concurring opinion rather than Justice Stevens in the majority opinion. But, you know, we can disagree. Uh, you heard me criticize uh, New York and Prince against the United States. I thought they were good policies, but not really in the Constitution. Uh, and so, you know, we can go back and forth on that. Um, 
But the fact that the Supreme Court says the Constitution allocates some question to Congress or to the states or somebody else is um, uh, infallible because they're final, but it's not, they're not final because they're infallible, uh, to quote a uh, former Supreme Court justice. Uh, so I think these issues are tremendously important uh, because the questions of allocation of policymaking authority ultimately determine policy. And that should be important to progressives, to conservatives, to libertarians, to just about everybody. Many thanks for that. Ilya, last word to you. Why is the Tenth Amendment and its principle of anti-commandeering important? And why should conservatives and libertarians care about it? Well, the Tenth Amendment is the other side of the general federalism coin. That is, it's redundant of the rest of the Constitution. It, which gives only certain powers to the federal government. And so, of course, any powers not enumerated are reserved to the states uh, and the people. It's a belt and suspenders approach, just like the Ninth Amendment is the flip side of the rights issue. That is, even those rights not specified in the Bill of Rights, uh, that's not a finite list. Other rights are, we, we can't spell them all out. We spend our entire time writing about different rights. Uh, and so the Ninth and Tenth Amendment are the belt and suspenders approach to the general constitutional structure. Uh, and federalism, another way of saying federalism, is the, the proper uh, method of constitutional interpretation. As Justice Kennedy uh, put it for a unanimous court in the case of United States versus Bond, uh, the case where the, the woman in, uh, uh, in, in Pennsylvania was uh, prosecuted under an international chemical weapons treaty for uh, this weird uh, chemical-based uh, assault on her uh, erstwhile best friend, uh, federalism is there not just as a, as a dry kind of uh, uh, a structural thing, but as a method of protecting liberty. That's what constitutional structure uh, ultimately is about. Uh, and so um, if we want to be uh, honest constitutionalists, we ought to let the states do uh, control uh, regulations and laws in areas that uh, the federal government uh, has not been given authority uh, by the Constitution. So whether you call it uh, commandeering, or whether you call it the proper allocation of powers, um, that's, that's why this is such a big deal. And we frankly would not have uh, such big toxic political battles at the national level uh, if courts uh, allow, rendered unto the states uh, what are the states and rendered unto the federal government only what the Constitution renders to the feds. Thank you so much, Ilya Sapiro and Michael Dorff, for a vigorous, illuminating, and educational discussion of federalism, ranging from sports gambling to marijuana enforcement to immigration. It is always a pleasure to have you both on and very much looking forward to the next time. Michael, Ilya, thank you so much for joining. Thank you both. Vigorous indeed, Jeff. <laughs> thank you. Today's show was engineered by... Jason Gregory, and produced by Ugana Etze and Scott Bomboy. Research was provided by Lana Ulrich and Ugana Etze. The National Constitution Center is a private nonprofit. We receive little government support and rely on the generosity, passion, engagement, and commitment to lifelong constitutional education of people like you across the country who are inspired by our nonpartisan mission of constitutional education and debate. Please consider becoming a member to support our work, including this podcast, Visit constitutioncenter.org forward slash membership to learn more. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.